It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who probably won't be voting for RFK Jr. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> But we're, Just, if you are thinking about it, we're happier here all the same. Exactly. And that not in a political kind of way, but just, nope. you know, I, I'm thinking that most of the people listening to us are just not casting their votes that direction. Uh, you know, I never thought I'd be in this situation where I'm looking at uh, the kind of lineup of potential candidates and being like, hmm, not 100% sure who's the worst. <laughs> like, this is not good. I know. I feel like the people who you know, wanted Harambe as the president a few years ago. Mm. <laughs> I told you on Twitter, like, I, I'm thinking about, I mean, if it came down to, who did you say if it was, like, down to the RFK, yeah, RFK versus Trump or whatever, I'm like, I'm voting for Unicron. Just eat the planet. I said Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that That was a political statement. Okay. <laughs> we don't do that here. No. My name's Karen Ernst. just humor. Those are jokes. Jokes. <laughs> and I am satire, the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here at Blank Jones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. Are you actually in the hospital right now? I am literally in the hospital right now. You're oh, so we're recording this at night. This Coming is... to you live, not live from uh, Blank Jones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah, right there. Okay. Well, I'm so glad that you're all joining us. We have a great interview at the end of this podcast with The Real Truther. You may know him from Twitter fame under his handle, The Real Truther. Mm -hmm. And so we had a fun discussion with him. Actually, I did. I, I yes. keep cutting Nathan out of the the interviews yeah I, i'm bummed I, I really wanted to talk to him i've followed him for ages on twitter and now with the new twitter spaces things that he's been doing i've been really impressed i mean he really knows his stuff so and he's a, he's a good yes. personality to kind of i think expose this information to more people so Absolutely. i am excited to listen yeah i have there's a little surprise that we did it was part interview part fun little surprise that I have for you. So I'm I'm okay. not even going to tell Nathan. He's got to listen to. All right. All righty. Let's go to I'm Around the Web. Okay. I think you're first. I am first. I am bringing to you very sad news, an epidemiologist who was well known in the media. I think he had even been on the Today Show in the United States a few times. His name is Dr. Alfredo Victoria, and he died this week at 42 years old from, it sounds like possibly a heart attack. He had told some people that he had ongoing heart problems that were the result of having lived through a COVID-19 infection, which is, I, I will just mention, I have a neighbor who did come down with COVID-19 early in the pandemic. So mm -hmm. like the non-vaccinated kind of COVID-19 yeah. and like, six eight months later she had she had a heart attack again oh, woman in her oh 40s heart attack and her sons who were in boy scouts performed cpr on her and saved oh, her life goodness. right wow. she was actually the person who taught me early on that for like a full year after covid infection you know you are like at heightened risk for heart attacks all sorts of heart issues yeah. so it is not 
shocking that someone would die, but it's very sad. He was a big promoter of COVID-19 vaccines. As an epidemiologist, he, he was known for really explaining science to the general public. And of course, that means that his death is being discussed by people yeah like died suddenly yeah and i'm trying to pull this up for you real quick kevin yeah i mean it's a trend that we're seeing i think we talked about on maybe the last episode just how Uh um, much of a trend we're seeing of people who Mm -hmm. pass away whether it's for something that could be related to COVID-19, whether it's something that could be, you know, probably unrelated, but just the level of exploitation of deaths is getting, is, is, is horrifying. And the people that are willing to do it online, just, uh, I, I, it's really hard to believe. Right. It's really, it's, and you know, they never say, obviously this was the COVID vaccine, be afraid of the COVID vaccine, Right. but they just, they just suggest it over and over again, like, you know, a hundred times a day mm-hmm. and, and people buy into that. And it's, it's, you know, it, it's almost like this glee, like, oh, here's a guy who really believed in the COVID vaccine and now he's dead, Yeah, which, which is gross. It, it really is because not only, I mean, it's, it's gross period, even if we didn't have like strong evidence that the vaccine, you know, reduces your risk of death and that it wasn't associated with all these things that anti-vaxxers want to make it out to be. Yes, we know that there's a very small risk of myocarditis in certain age groups, but the actual overall risk of the vaccine is very low and especially compared to COVID-19, the infection itself. But even if that you know, wasn't the case, the way that these deaths are just thrown out there and people who would say things like, like the families would be like, no, we don't have any, you know, we don't want to be associated with this. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter to some of these accounts that just want to push continual messaging that anything, any reason that anybody dies, it's they, they, if they were immunized at any point, they're going to pretend like that's the cause of their death. Mm -hmm. It's always the vaccine. It's never not the vaccine. Yeah. And we have really, I mean, the people listening to this don't need, you know, they know this, but the evidence is overwhelming that the vaccine, that COVID vaccination reduces your risk of dying. I mean, it just is going to, COVID is uh, far more dangerous to people if you get it when you don't have a vaccine on board. And so overall, no question. And I don't have any concerns as a pediatrician. Like I think that, you know, it doesn't matter what age group you are in getting vaccinated is safer than not being vaccinated. Yeah. People ask me, Oh, how this work out for you? I bet you. I'm like, no, I'm still absolutely everybody in, in whatever age group you're in. If you can get vaccinated, you should, if you don't have a contraindication. Yeah. So Beth, who's our on staff infectious disease epidemiologist hmm. noticed that our Facebook page kind of got invaded, like not invaded, but there were people Mm -hmm. arguing about it. And so she and I were talking about this argument they were having. And she says, people just don't understand what a vaccine is. Like they think you're supposed to get a vaccine and then that's your like forever shield. That's a hundred percent effective that keeps all the germs away from you for Mm -hmm. that disease. And that's not how it works. It's never been how it works. Yeah. So, So, and it's also worth pointing out that a lot of vaccines, so flu shot, obviously you're supposed to get one every year, but virtually every other vaccine, it's a mm -hmm. multi-dose series. Like, Mm -hmm. and I know that a lot of the little 
cracks in the armor and things that'll get exploited by the anti-vaccine movement are in fact bad messaging and mistakes made early in the pandemic like yes did we know like did we early on think that the vaccine was going to be extremely effective against symptomatic infection based on the initial variant and trials yeah and so did the messaging go out like that yes and did then other variants came along and it turned out not to be as effective against symptoms you know but more effect still effective against you know hospitalizations and deaths like that that the facts and the things that developed changed over time and so messaging early on kind of became the achilles heel of messaging later and and that's you know true but you know, the reality is that no matter, you know, as I said before, any way you look at it, it still continues to be smartest to be immunized. Right. I think the other part of this, and it's, I think it's, this is going to dovetail into your around the mm-hmm. web. The yeah. other part of this is really this crapping on experts that's happening. Like, oh, oh sure. here's, here's an expert, but he thought he was smart. Well, now he's dead. Ha ha. There's also Aaron Siri, who is a lawyer was on Twitter today messing with my buddy Stanley Plotkin, you know, taking that like nine hour deposition that he gave for that custody case and like right, right. hearing the videos again. I'm like, those don't look good for you, Mr. Siri Esquire. So, you know, th- that's the kind of crapping on expertise that that is happening. But there's other crapping on expertise. So I will toss that to you. Yeah, I mean, I feel like pretty much every around the web every time could be about RFK Jr. And I don't want to overdo it, but I do want to point out this roundtable that he recently had. I don't know what he actually called it, but he basically got together the most uh, like quackalicious group of people that you're going to find. Like people that we've been known since like the beginning of our Facebook, uh, our social media advocacy stuff, in particular, Sherry Tenpenny, who is wackier than wacky when it comes to the things that she believes, and had this roundtable. And what I want to kind of point out is how difficult it is to be an anti-vaxxer when you're trying to actually have a appeal to people. Because we've talked about many times how just the phrase anti-vaxxers sets people, sets anti-vaxxers off, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it's not palatable to be thought of in that way. But the reason it's not palatable to be thought of that way is because of the actual definition of what it is. It's because people don't like it when you endanger, when you're part of a group that's endangering other people. And people know the people who refuse vaccines are doing that. That is still a fairly widespread belief no no, no, belief and and the people know this so to give it a label like anti-vaxxer just means that inherently is not insulting but it Mm -hmm. means that people know that you do this thing you 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 do things that put other people at risk and so it's really difficult to like try to be to have some appeal to the masses so to speak and still stick to the beliefs that you have when it comes to vaccines. We watched RFK do this in this roundtable, where initially, you know, he tries to do the usual, like, I'm not against vaccines. I just, you know, don't think that the science is there, whatever. And the people in this are pushing him to be more anti-vaccine. Like Tenpenny mm-hmm. says some things on the order of like, well, you know, you've said these things about not being anti-vaccine, but how can you, you know, I think we all know that there cannot possibly be such a thing as a safe vaccine, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm paraphrasing, obviously. 
And and then during this session, he gets into crazier and crazier ideas that he has about things, including yeah, not just vaccines, but he talks somewhat about like 5G Wi-Fi causing cancer, a whole lot of other kind of things. Once he feels like he's in this group that, that he's kind of catering to them, it's some really bizarro stuff. And mm-hmm. I said on Twitter, like, I know that we're, we've demonstrated here that like, there is no like Hamilton, he's never going to be president now moment for any candidate <laughs> ever. Like, that's just not a thing anymore. You're not going to have the, well, who was it? John Kerry that did this. Uh, who was it that did the scream? Somebody did a scream at some point. Oh, that, that was dashed um, their candidacy. Howard Dean. Yeah. Howard Dean, the scream like that, that doesn't exist anymore. Obviously, if you just don't have shame, you can still be a candidate. Or Michael Dukakis sitting in the right, tank with the, the tank. helmet on. But still to watch this guy and think, wow, is this guy going to actually be a serious, like, is this going to be a thing? Oh my gosh. I I can't believe that we're at this position where, where it's like, well, this could be, this, this could be a candidate. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, at first I thought maybe he was just doing it. I think I've said this publicly, like he was just doing it to open those doors so he could have a bigger platform. I mean, it got him back on, didn't it get him back on Instagram? Sure. He talks in this round table about how it, how the running for president just basically is bringing him more attention and allowing him to do things that he couldn't Mm -hmm. do before. So I definitely think that's part of it. Like it's a, it's both like, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is obviously has motives and, and benefits, even if he, does not become president. Right. Um, but uh, it's one of those things where you can't just like be like, okay, this guy is a goof. There's no way. No, there's, there, we've demonstrated there's always a way. Right. So, you know, he had an interesting interview with Brand, our friend, Brandy Zadrozny. Yes. yes. Which is really great. I loved this, this uh, question she asked him at the end was, you know, what's something you got wrong? And, uh, <laughs> He's like, I can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm really that, careful. I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't think of anything. I'm like, oh, you know what? We could ask Dr. Offit right now, what's something you got wrong? And he'd be like, this, this, and this. Like, he could tell you, I could ask you, like, what's something you've gotten wrong about vaccines before? Sure. Yeah. Like mistakes that we made. Yeah. I mean, anybody worth their salt should be able to be like, oh, yeah, I've made mistakes before. I've said this or that or the other. So I think it's interesting that just that just encapsulates, I think, the anti-vaccine movement there. Like, no, absolutely nothing that I've gone wrong. Like that total lack of self-reflection. Yeah. Anyhow, so, yeah, I think there's two parts that are really dangerous about this. One is that he he's obviously doing this to spread more misinformation to be mm-hmm. the chaos candidate but also I, I think he actually really wants to win yeah and i think that he is deluded enough to believe he can win and conspiracy mining my minded enough to be dangerous if he doesn't win yeah yep uh, there's no great outcome <laughs> I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he tries to thread this needle just because he's running as a Democrat. And mm-hmm. like, so he's going to have a lot of opinions on non-vaccine stuff that are going to bother both sides. Like, it, so it will, that that's the thing that's interesting to me is to kind of see like, how is he going to campaign? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 
like like you said, there's no good outcome here. It's going to be used poorly one way or another. Yeah, I think he'll appeal to younger adults the way that Jesse Ventura did in what year was that, 1998? You're the Minnesotan. I'm very sorry. (laughs) Did you know, too? I just like total weird side note. So, you know, Died Suddenly that we're discussing here is run by a gentleman named Stu Peters. Okay. um, Who lives in Minneapolis and was also Mm -hmm. once a rapper under the name Focus, F-O-K-I-S-S. Okay. But he also was friends with Jesse Ventura's son. And when Jesse Ventura was governor, he didn't always live in the governor's mansion. And the reports were that the son would just be there all the time having big parties. And like one of the main people who was helping him with the parties was Stu Peters. Stu Peters was helping Jesse Ventura's son with the parties. That's what you're saying. Parties at the governor's mansion. (laughs) Wow. Right before he became Focus, the rapper. Wow. Okay. I'm going to make a whole red yarn board about this thing. This is going to be <laughs> something. All right. Well, we're going to talk more about RFK Jr. with The Real Truther and his whole spat with our friend Peter Hotez. Yeah. These people are messing with our friends, Nathan. Yeah. Yeah. The the discourse has definitely gotten worse. Yeah. So let's, uh, on the other side of the break, let's, let's uh, hear that interview. We are joined now by the real truther whose identity is concealed. So I'll just call him Fred because I call everyone Fred if I'm not calling them by their real names. So welcome, Fred. Thank you for having me. It's, it's awesome to be on a podcast that I actually enjoy, subscribe to, and listen to on a regular basis. So do you like our podcast more or less than Joe Rogan's? Uh, it is definitely the better of the two, especially when it comes to the vaccine information. I will say that. Okay. Well, this is good to know. So we're better than Joe Rogan. And I'm just going to assume that's a universal truth because you are the real truther. Exactly. So you are sort of a force to be reckoned with on Twitter and probably other places, but I know you from Twitter. That's um, where I'm mainly, I'm mainly on Twitter. Yeah. Right. So how did you get your start on Twitter. What made you decide to reveal real truths? (laughs) So I think it was around 2015 and I was actually on Facebook. So it started on, I started on Facebook and I was kind of like, so I've been involved in Holocaust education and different stuff related to the Holocaust for many years. And I started debunking Holocaust deniers on Facebook. Like it was something I would see a lot and it just got me really upset. And so I, I would just spend a lot of time you know, arguing back and forth with people that deny the Holocaust occurred, which is one of the more aggravating and painful and frustrating things you can you can see. And uh, especially when it's someone like myself who, who's visited the camps in Poland and been to the museums in Israel and D.C. and stuff. And it was something that was really important to me. So anyway, I, I was doing that in 2015 on Facebook and I didn't know anything about anti-vaxxers at that point. Like I honestly didn't even know they existed. I didn't know that there were people that denied vaccines that 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 didn't get vaccines voluntarily. 
this was all a foreign concept to me, but sort of almost naturally, because if you deal with, with conspiracy theorists and a lot of polygon deniers are, you will eventually get to the world of vaccine denial and, and, and vaccine skeptics, anti-vaxxers. And so I started to see that world uh, get displayed to me right in front of my eyes. And, 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 and to me, that also frustrated me just as much. But unlike Holocaust denial, this was something that I saw was really threatening people in real life, uh, you know, right now, you know, as far as vaccine confidence and uh, vaccine uptake and, and, and children not being protected by preventable diseases. So I started to sort of, again, go back and forth with, with, with anti-vaxxers on Facebook, started a Facebook page, eventually moved to Twitter. And that's kind of where things got, took off for me because Twitter just became more of a better platform in order to, to refute misinformation, to expose the people that were spreading this misinformation, not just for their own personal belief system, but also for profit. And that's when I started to learn about the sort of the grifters and the charlatans, the people that were profiting millions of dollars off this misinformation campaign. And it sort of just built and built and built. And then, of course, COVID hit and everything went crazy. And then it felt like I became more and more useful. And that's when my following started to grow even more. Isn't it funny how many people get their start with someone was wrong on the internet? Exactly. Yeah, that's, it was just like one day I was like, someone was saying that, you know, something about, like I said, about the Holocaust. And I was like, I need to respond. Just something inside me felt the need to respond. So yeah, and, and, and I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor. And I, I say this all the time. You know, people are like, what are your qualifications? And I'm like, well, you know, eight years of debunking misinformation on vaccines, but I don't have any scientific qualifications. I don't have any medical qualifications. I'm married to a physician. I'm married to a doctor, but I don't, but I'm not one myself. And I, but I think that, you know, sometimes that is in and of itself is a qualification because the people you're arguing with, the people you're debating with generally are not scientists or doctors either. And uh, so, you know, it, I, I usually can use methods that you, a scientist or a doctor wouldn't necessarily do because um, they're generally nicer than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. It is hard, though, being on the side of being accountable to science and truth. Have you found that an encumbrance as far as debunking or disproving people? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like I always say, like, you know, if, if, if tomorrow... I tweeted, the vaccines are killing millions of people. That would probably be my most popular tweet. And I might double my following within an hour because people don't want to hear vaccines work. Vaccines are safe. Vaccines are effective. If you look on Amazon and you go do a search for the most, the top selling vaccine books, I believe at one point I checked and it was like 48 of the top 50 books were in some way anti-vaccine books because people don't want to buy a book that talks about how good vaccines are. It, not that they're not interested in the in vaccines or that it's just that that doesn't excite people. That doesn't sell. So being on the side of supporting vaccination is generally not the most popular thing. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing about buying a book about how vaccines are good for you is that you literally could just go to your doctor's office and have them tell you that vaccines are good for you without having to read the whole book. Exactly. Or Google it. You know, that's when you look at like Dr. Hodez or or even Paul Offit, their books are, you know, Paul Offit's books are amazing, but they don't sell as well as RFK's books for the, for the obvious reasons. Right. And I'll say Peter Hodez's book, Vaccines Did Not Cause Rachel's Autism is such a great book because it's not only a science book, but it's very personal. And uh, I, I recommend that book a lot to many people. Absolutely. And I've, I've also read um, Paul Offit's uh, False Prophets, I believe. Mm -hmm. Autism's False Prophets, which is also amazing. And he does 
does great work, you know, refuting mm-hmm. a lot of the anti-vaccine misinformation. Absolutely. Well, that's great. So you mentioned, you know, if you tweeted, you know, vaccines are killing people, you would get all these followers. What have been some of your most popular tweets? So basically, if you, I don't know if you recall the, um, the Stu Peters documentary died suddenly, or I mean, calling it a documentary is a little yeah. loosely. <laughs> you know, so, Stu so Peters it, is from my home state. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a, uh, wow, this is a movie and I did watch it, unfortunately. And it, it, you know, it basically proposes that again, that all these people are dying suddenly from the vaccines and, and the vaccines are killing millions of people all over the place. And it's a public emergency. And basically what they do is, you know, I saw the trailer for this, like even the trailer is misinformation. And I saw County Johnson, like one of the basketball players who, who collapsed. And, and, and this was in the trailer. They were showing him in the trailer collapsing and, you know, a, sort of insi- in, insinuating that he died from the vaccine. The only problem was, um, A, he didn't die. <laughs> and B, he didn't get the vaccine because it happened like two days before the vaccines were even available to healthcare workers only on de- in December of 2020, this game that where he collapsed. And then I started to look into more events that were shown in the movie. And I realized basically most of them were people that didn't die and had nothing to do with the vaccine. So I wrote this long thread about it, exposing this. And that thread sort of went viral, semi-viral. And that got me a, a lot of a lot of followers at that point where people were, you know, writing me messages. And this was, you know, people ask me, like, why do you do this? You know, obviously, a lot of people accuse me of being paid by pharma, but uh, obviously, I'm not paid by anyone, I wish. Um, but I remember during that time, that that film, which basically got millions of viewers, was scaring a lot of people because they thought people who were vaccinated, thought they were going to die suddenly because of that movie. And it was really scary. I was, I got, I cannot tell you how many messages. I've never gotten more messages before, like dozens of messages a week from people who saw my thread and it really calmed them down from their anxiety. Someone said that that's they had to good see, news. Yeah. Like someone told me they had to see, see a therapist because they were like losing it. One person said he was suicidal. Like all these, the, all these things, people don't realize the damage that anti-vax misinformation could do outside of just reducing vaccine uptake, but also causing all this, uh, you know, stress and anxiety on people all because of this propaganda film. And so it, it, it felt really good to be able to, share the truth and, you know, be able to calm down some of that anxiety for people. That is a really great point. You know, um, Heather Simpson, who used to be anti-vaccine, told me that she believed that if her child got a vaccine, she would literally die. Like she would get the vaccine and then just fall over and be dead. And it paralyzed her. She really, you know, even when she decided, okay, I'm actually more afraid of tetanus than I am of the vaccine. It was still very scary for her to get her child vaccinated. And, you know, that that psychological damage that we're doing to each other is not something to poo-poo. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the anti-vax advocates use fear, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, b- before COVID, you know, that's what they would do. They would talk about, you know, how your, your child is healthy and they don't need this injection. If they do, something could happen. Uh, even worse is when they attack a parent and, and, and as you know, you know, like anytime a, a tragedy such as like a SIDS death would happen, they would then seek out that parent and try to say, well, when did you get the vaccines for the child? Like the, the worst possible time in, in a parent's life to just seek them out and try to blame vaccines to exploit the death of their own agenda. But yeah, they, this fear mongering campaign is exactly what they do because 
what they they don't have generally is the science. They don't have the facts, the data. So they will use emotion. They will use appeals to emotion, which is like kind of like the, that movie Vaxxed, which basically the majority of the film was just appeals to emotion instead of actually showing science or showing data. It was a conspiracy theory. And then it was showing parents who thought their children got autism after a vaccine and trying to scare other parents from getting that vaccine. Absolutely. So you started off with Holocaust deniers and yeah. then and then moved over to these people who tracked down parents of children who've recently died to try to convince them that it was actually vaccine. I still think Holocaust deniers are more despicable, but I'm wondering what your view is now after doing both things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know like what scale you put on. Now, look, I under look, we also have to separate what like a true like anti-vax person is versus like a vaccine skeptic or parents who are just scared and parents who have reasonable questions. See, I think that's that's something that gets lost. And a lot of people are like, yes. you're calling me an anti-vaxxer is a slur. But but actually, yeah. for many people, it is a description of their beliefs. It's not a slur. Like if you're if you're literally against all vaccines, I don't know what else to call you like it's kind of like this whole debate with rfk who says he's pro vaccine he's pro, he's just well yeah he's pro the idea the concept of vaccination but against every single vaccine that we actually have so in reality he's anti-vax it's just something people say because they don't want to be known as anti-vax because they think it's bad right but getting back to your question which is worse yes holocaust denial is one of the worst i think things in the world like to deny you know the genocide of you know six million jews and millions of other people and and to do that for generally a hateful anti-Semitic agenda. I mean, that's the difference between sort of Holocaust denial and other kind of denial. It's a lot of times there is that bigotry and that anti-Semitism associated with it, uh, anti-Israel sentiment, et cetera. Whereas uh, I think also up there, I'll put Sandy Hook denial, AIDS denial. Oh, a lot yes. of people don't even know what that is. Yes, AIDS denial is a horrific thing, which is something that triggers me as well. Those are all up there. But but like I said, vaccine denial or you know, anti-vaxxers out there spreading misinformation. I feel like that's like a public health, almost like a crisis, especially now, which really could have ramifications. Not that Holocaust denial doesn't have consequences. And, and obviously it's appalling when you look at the education. I think they did a poll recently where like a majority of like young people did not even know that 6 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. And it's sad because we're reaching a point in the world where the last remaining survivor will, will not be alive anymore. I think we're really getting close. And so right. all we have left is the their stories that they've left behind. That's why I appreciate, you know, people like Steven Spielberg, who has spent years collecting video evidence of, of survivors so that that will live on forever, because there are people that want to silence that and change history. And that's kind of what we see with COVID, this revisionist history that people try every day about how there was never a pandemic and people never really died. And they renamed the flu and all the deaths in 2020 were caused by ventilators. And in 2021, they suddenly changed to vaccines. Nobody died of COVID, just every other way that they can sort of excuse it. And these are people, of course, that are angry with the lockdowns and the restrictions and the mandates which is fine to be upset over those things, but to create and lie and create revisionist history is very harmful. So that's another thing that I, that I try to do and fight back against is this, this, like I said, this sort of trying, this new history that people are trying to sell where there was never even a pandemic. There's a large group of people, sadly, on Twitter who believe this. So you're actually making so many great points. I do want to just back up a little bit because you talked about your origin story was with Holocaust denial. My origin story was actually with the JFK assassination. Really, oh, wow. lo really long story. 
basically the assistant principal at my dad's junior high accused him of being in on it because they were goofing around at lunch on November 23rd, 1963. So, you know, my father kind of taught me how to look at evidence critically and not be a conspiracy theorist. And that's how I grew up. Unfortunately, that whole ethos around my understanding of, of John F. Kennedy. Also, I ended up going to John F. Kennedy High School. All of that formed my understanding of the world, but in an opposite way, formed his nephew's understanding of the world as well, as RFK Jr. still believes that the CIA killed his father. Yeah. So bringing RFK into the mix for a a few minutes. I told you we were going to do something fun. RFK has been harassing Dr. Peter Hotez, who is a dear, kind, sweet man, about doing a debate on the Joe Rogan show, which is, of course, a terrible idea for him. But I thought maybe we could host an RFK real truther debate, (laughs) only with me playing the role of RFK Jr. And then you get to respond to the statements that I have actually made that are direct quotes, which I will read to you. How does that sound? All right. Oh, we'll try it. Okay. I think you're going to like this first one. So here's me being RFK Jr. It's going to sound a lot like me. I am for vaccines. I have been tracking mercury and fish for 30 years, and nobody has called me anti-fish. I am pro-vaccine. I had all my kids vaccinated. I think vaccines save lives. But we are also seeing an explosion in neurodevelopmental disorders. And we ought to be able to do a cost-benefit analysis and see what's causing them. We ought to have a robust, transparent science and an independent regulatory agency. Nobody is trying to get rid of vaccines here. I just want safe vaccines. Your reply. Right. So much like I, I said earlier, this is what he's trying to do to sort of mask the fact that he is against every vaccine and has said critical things against every vaccine on the, on the market. And he has never. And I, and I asked people on my on my Twitter, I go, can you name one thing he said positive about a single vaccine in the last decade? Can you name a single time he's advocated or recommended a vaccine? If he says vaccines have saved lives and they're beneficial, then when when has he ever named a specific vaccine and said this vaccine is good because of this? He's never done that. No one's been able to show me one instance. People say, oh, because he vaccinated his children, he's pro-vaccine. Now, we have to understand his evolution. His children are older. He vaccinated them long before he became anti-vaccine. I think his last child was born in 2001. And he started off his anti-vaccine crusade and becoming one of the biggest anti-vaccine advocates in the country in 2005, I believe, when he wrote, wrote that Salon Rolling Stone article about mercury. So a lot of what he says is very disingenuous and dishonest. And as far as wanting vaccines to be safe, everyone wants vaccines to be safe. And that's why they are the most tested and most monitored medical intervention in history. There's no what other medical intervention is studied, tested or monitored more than vaccines. We have four safety monitoring systems alone in the United States not to counting other countries. Uh, They go through a robust safety process. People don't understand it because he uses these quotes to say, well, we just want safe vaccines, but we have safe vaccines. And you look at a vaccine like measles, that vaccine originated 60 years ago. The MMR was 1971. So that's 
over 50 years of data and safety and monitoring from that vaccine. And the same people that are saying that the COVID vaccine doesn't have the long-term safety studies, doesn't have the long-term data. Well, we have that for the other vaccines, but those same people are now attacking those vaccines. You can't have it both ways. So what, what he's saying is, again, very disingenuous and, in my opinion, dishonest because he literally fits the definition of anti-vax. And if he really was pro-vaccine, he would tell us which vaccine he actually recommends or advocates for. And he's not going to do that. So this is me and my, my Karen voice. That's really nicely done. Uh, you And he, f- folks, he didn't know that he was going to be having to debunk things on the fly here. So nice work. Okay, I'm going to go back to my RFK voice. All right. Well, Fred, the real truther, you're wrong. And also the CIA killed my uncle. But (laughs) moving on to the COVID vaccines. So what they did is they had 22,000 people who got the vaccine and 22,000 who didn't. And they had six months of data. And during that six months period in the vaccine group, one person died of COVID. And in the placebo group, two people died from COVID. So that allows Pfizer to tell the public and, you know, the FDA to tell the public that this vaccine is 100% effective because two is 100% of one. What do you have to say to that? Uh, That's not how we, you know, determine results from trials. First of all, none of the deaths in the trial were related to the vaccine. And none of those differences were statistically significant. First of all, there wasn't a significant amount of COVID during the trial, which is a lot of people getting just moving to another topic. But a lot of people are like, well, they admitted they didn't test for transmission. Well, actually, no, no vaccines are tested for transmission in trials. Generally, that's what comes later in real world studies when you actually can test against the virus in outbreak situations. And those studies pre-variants did show that the vaccine had significant efficacy against infection uh, during the, the variants before, before Delta arrived. But getting back to the trial, the trial showed a significant efficacy against the two points that they were testing in the trial. They weren't testing for transmission. They weren't testing for all-cause mortality or deaths. That's not what, what uh, a trial does. They tested for a symptomatic infection. Uh, and they also trusted, tested for severe disease. And it showed significant efficacy against both symptomatic infection and severe disease if you look at the placebo versus the vaccine. But the trial ended in 2020. And since then, we have thousands of studies around the world that, that prove efficacy, large-scale studies involving millions of people, like significantly high on the evidence pyramid, meta-analysis is that, uh, you know, large-scale epidemiological studies. We have a great study out of Hungary, which actually was the first of its kind. It tested for all-cause mortality, not just COVID, and it also adjusted for confounders like the healthy vaccine bias that a lot of people talk about, which is why a lot of people complain about the data points and how they're not adjusted for all the confounders. This study did, it still showed significant efficacy of both uh, for the vaccine vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, even the partially vaccinated, the ones that only got one dose. A lot of people complain, well, they didn't, you know, they're not looking at the seven to 14 days after even those people had significantly lower mortality. So that's just one example of a well-designed study. But we do have those studies since. Uh, the trial, of course, showed what it showed. And the studies show what they show. And the data shows what they show as well, where we can look at excess deaths, where, where RFK has gotten that wrong as well, as, as, I, as I proved in a, in a video. But at the end of the day, two deaths versus one, that has no statistical relevance. That's not statistically significant in, in a study. So back to my RFK voice, that's nice, but Roundup makes frogs transgender. And also, did you know, 
Vaccines are the only medical product exempt from pre-licensing safety testing. They don't have to be tested, and many of them are not. Right. So this is a, a talking point that anti-vaxxers have used for years, and I see it's going around Twitter even today. What RFK is talking about is the trials of vaccination. So when a new disease, when a vaccine for a new disease comes on the market, such as COVID, it is generally and typically tested against an inert placebo, such as saline. That's what COVID was tested against, saline. And when polio, when the first vaccine for polio was one of the largest randomized controlled trials in the country first came on the market, that was tested versus saline. You know, when the MMR was was first tested, they, they had an unvaxxed versus vaxxed trial. They, typically, when the first vaccines come out for that disease, they are tested against inert placebos. And then the updated version comes out and that once you have an established safety and profile of a vaccine, it becomes unethical to then test that that group first and withhold the vaccine from the other group. So basically, like, for example, MMR, that's been tested and, and proven safe. Then the MMR2 is developed. Now, this is a safer vaccine because the rubella component of that second MMR was proven safer. So they did the trial and they compared it to the original version. And that's what happens. And so, yes, technically, that second vaccine wasn't in its own trial versus an inert placebo, but the first vaccine already was proven safe. So basically, if people are making this argument, they're saying, well, then the polio, the original polio vaccine or the original MMR vaccine, the ones that were tested versus inert placebos, those are the safer vaccines and we advocate for those. But they wouldn't be doing that either. But in, in reality, a lot of placebo decisions are made because of ethical reasons and other reasons. Sometimes it's because they want to uh, you know, create an, a reaction in the shoulder. And if you just use saline, people won't recognize it and it'll affect the, the trial. There's, there's other reasons behind it, but the main one is ethical. And the important thing to realize is all the vaccines, if you go back to the original trials, like HPV as well, they did use saline or inert placebos in most of them. And then when the updated versions come out, so it's kind of, again, another disingenuous claim. They're, they're saying, well, the version we're using now didn't necessarily have its own trial with a inert placebo. Yes, but the earlier versions did, and those were already proven safe. So what are you saying about the second version that makes that one unsafe compared to the first? And so that is another trope that people like RFK talk about, but they, don't, they never really expand on it and, and give the context. That's great. Also, did you know that the 2004 election was stolen by voter fraud and John Kerry was supposed to be the winner? But I digress. In terms of being a conspiracy theorist, tell me where I got it wrong. Show me something I've said that you believe to be factually wrong or unsupported by evidence. Well, so in the video that I did debunking some of his claims that he made on television, like one of the things he said is there's no scientific study that shows the vaccine reduced hospitalizations and deaths. And I just got through talking about a study from Hungary that studied all cause mortality that proved it did. I mean, there's hundreds of other studies and like large scale, very well replicated science that does show that. So that's one thing he got wrong. The second thing he got wrong was discussing excess deaths. And I get into that in my video, in his world, he talks about countries, he cherry picks countries like Africa and Haiti as examples of countries that had low vaccine rates, but also low excess deaths or low deaths from COVID or excess deaths. Now, these are very dishonest cherry picks because number one, Africa has the lowest median age of any continent in the world of 18. Some places have 
the median age is 14 or 15. Obviously, COVID is age stratified. So the more older people you have, the more deaths you're going to have. And uh, like a country like Nigeria, only 3% of the country is over 65. The second problem with Africa is the testing and reporting. They have absolutely almost no testing or reporting. So we don't even know, like Nigeria, we don't know what the excess deaths are. So he's using a country where there's no testing and reporting. Even in 2020, they had low deaths and they're, they have a young age. So no matter what, even if vaccines worked amazing, which they, which they did, they're not, you're not going to see a significant effect because most of the people are younger. So this, and the same thing with Haiti, Haiti also has a median age of 23 and their excess deaths were 36 times the reported COVID deaths because they have very low testing. So obviously they were, there, there was more deaths in Haiti that were not reported. Instead of looking at those two countries, which I think are very dishonest, I, in my video sort of refutation, I showed him all of Europe and all of the United States. And if you look at Europe and you look at the lowest vaxxed countries, they include a lot of countries in Eastern Europe, like Romania and Bulgaria, which had the most excess deaths by far of any country in Europe. And they had lower, I think they had 29 percent vaccine rates by the end of 2021 in Bulgaria. Just an absolute disaster. Almost one percent of their country died in excess in Bulgaria. When you look at the other side, you look at a country like Sweden. Sweden had 86% of their 18 plus population vaccinated. They had significantly high booster rates. I think the, one of the highest booster rates in Europe, they're on their sixth dose right now in 2023 for, for people. And they had the lowest excess deaths of any country in Europe since vaccination. Similarly, in, in the United States, you can look at the highest vaxxed states had the lowest excess since vaccines and the lowest vaxxed states had the highest excess. Now, again, none of this proves vaccine efficacy. People have to need to understand excess deaths don't prove vaccine efficacy. You need to look at those epidemiological studies, but they certainly can be a strong data point that vaccines aren't causing deaths, which is what RFK was trying to insinuate in his cherry-picked examples. Well, I'm not running on vaccines. The only time that I will talk about vaccines is if somebody asks me about it. You don't have to answer that. Very oh. well done. <laughs> Excellent debate. Well, well, I would respond to that because I think that's actually a truthful statement. I don't think he really wants to talk about a lot of this. No. A lot, and that's one thing I want to bring up. People don't realize he has a history that is pretty sordid. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that he's associated with in the last 20 years that, you know, while he was campaigning against vaccines, whether it's you know, Louis Farrakhan and all kinds of Scientology and some really, really shady people that have a history of anti-Semitism and bigotry and all kinds of things. He's trying to hide his past. He doesn't want mm -hmm. to talk about those years. He doesn't want to talk about things he said. And the one thing I do want to mention is his entire campaign for years was against thermarosol and vaccines, mercury right. and vaccines, as you mentioned earlier. But Thermarosol was removed from all childhood vaccines in 2001. His claim was that it caused autism. But right after it was removed, what happened? Did autism rates go down? Did they remain stable? No, they rose immediately after, which basically should have ended his theory. But did he ever admit he was wrong about that? No, he just moved on to other ingredients, to other vaccines. Yeah, actually, Brandy Zadrozny in her recent article asked him, what's one thing you've been wrong about? And he couldn't think of anything. <laughs> he said they should have had me on there. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'll help you out. Fantastic. So let me ask you, does RFK Jr. have your vote? Uh, absolutely not. As I've said publicly, I would vote for Trump or DeSantis over RFK on the vaccine issue alone. Wow. Okay. And DeSantis isn't that great on it either. Yeah.
All uh, right, he's be- not that great on the COVID vaccine, but I don't think he wants to like end the childhood vaccine program or like, you know, create, you know, placebo testing with saline for the whole country and, you know, restrict vaccines from children. Yeah. What a mess that would be. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. You are just as delightful on the podcast as you are on Twitter. One last question that I like to ask many of our guests, of course, besides the COVID vaccine, what's your favorite vaccine? Oh, great question. Well, I would probably say the hit, the hip vaccine, mm. because that was a devastating disease that before the vaccine infected 20,000 children a year in the United States, a third of them suffered lifelong complications like epilepsy. And it used to kill about a thousand children under five each year in the United States. And that vaccine has been incredibly effective and has saved countless lives around the world. So I would I would say that vaccine, the hip vaccine. Excellent choice. Thank you so much for being on. If people want to find you on Twitter, how do they do that? Uh, they just can search for me and, you know, I'm at the real underscore truther on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I would love to, you know, have you follow me and, and check out my stuff. And the RFK video that I talked about is my pinned tweet. Yes. And we will share that in the show notes too. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you all of you at home. It was great having you here. Please connect with us online wherever you can. Also, just want to point out that if this is if you're listening to this after the 4th of July, I hope that you are a Twitter follower who listens to Dr. Boonstra tell you not to explode fireworks near your children. Yeah, leave the fireworks alone. Leave them to professionals, please. Holy cow. Yeah. And get your tetanus shot. My name is Karen Ernst. I am the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at voicesforvaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra. I'm general pediatrician here at Blink Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa, and also chair of our immunization coalition, Iowa Immunizes. <laughs> Thanks a lot, everyone. To learn more, visit